Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Merry Christmas. We appreciate you being here today. I recently received a flyer in the mail from a church promoting numerous Christmas Eve services. And near the top of the flyer, it had four simple words. Christmas is about joy. My immediate reaction, though, was no. Christmas is about Jesus. Now, you may think I'm being far too nitpicky. And it's certainly possible that I was feeling particularly grinchy that afternoon when I checked the mail. But even now, after a couple of weeks have passed, I stand by my statement. Christmas is not about some broad, vague, or nebulous sentiment. The way we so often speak about joy around this time of year. Christmas is about a very specific person. Born in a very specific time, in a very specific place, for a very specific reason. And joy though it is clearly one of many wonderful and glorious consequences of Christmas, is not the main thing. The Gospel of Luke, the simple story itself, reminds us that Christmas is about Jesus. So this morning we'll be reading from Luke chapter 2. We read from Luke chapter 1 last night on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. That seems like a bit of a no-brainer. So feel free to take one of our Bibles, open it up to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you can take it home. Consider it a Christmas gift from our church to you. If you need a last-minute gift for somebody else, take that Bible home and give it to them. It's a great gift of God's Word. So, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We read there. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Good call, shepherds. 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles And for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, Of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, They returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is a story that you've likely read or heard before, even if you haven't picked it up in a year or more. But there are a few details I'd like to draw your attention to. Important details that we may be tempted to overlook or forget. Let's start with verse 1. In the days of Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus, a.k.a. Octavian, was Julius Caesar's grand nephew, slash adopted son, slash imperial successor. The time in which Augustus ruled was known as the Pax Romana, which is Latin for the Peace of Rome. It was called that because it was a day and age in which Rome was on top of the world, and their empire did not look to be going 
anywhere. It was a time of seemingly unlimited peace, prosperity, and progress, at least for some. One ancient inscription went so far to describe Caesar Augustus as the divine son of a god, imperator of land and sea, the benefactor and savior of the whole world. That's supposedly Augustus. But then look at what the angels proclaim in verses 10 and 11. Apparently, Caesar Augustus and the peace of Rome left something to be desired because a baby born to a poor Jewish family in Bethlehem, Jesus Christ. These angels say that he is the real son of the most high. He's the true ruler of land and sea. He's the only God given savior of the whole world. Christmas is about Jesus, not Caesar Augustus, or any other wannabe savior, empire, or king. And speaking of angels, take another look at verses 8 through 20. When it comes to birth announcements, you don't get much higher than angels, even on Etsy. They're not the quite divine but definitely not human messengers of God. Angels are unmatched in appearance, and they are dispatched for the most important occasions. But who do these angels speak to? They speak to shepherds. Now, sure, there were some significant shepherds in biblical history. Moses and David might come to mind. But that doesn't change the fact that shepherds were mostly Blue-collar peasants. Yet in the end, both groups, angels from heaven and salt-of-the-earth shepherds, end up doing the same thing. They worship Jesus. They announce Jesus. To this day, Jesus deserves the worship of the highest and the lowest the strongest and the weakest, the biggest and the smallest, the richest and the poorest, because Christmas was and still is all about him. In verses 21 through 25, Luke tells us more about Jesus's earliest days. And we might wonder why Luke includes some of these details. He circumcised like any other baby boy born to a faithful Jewish family. His parents obey the law of Moses with their sacrifices, like any other mom and dad in a faithful Jewish family. Might Luke include these details to show that Jesus fulfills God's law? And Jesus will do this in an even greater way as an adult. In a way that no one before him or after him would or could. Which then qualifies him to do something on the cross that no other human being would or could. Christmas isn't the only holiday that's about Jesus. Easter is too. In verses 26 through 38, we see Jesus celebrated by Simeon and Anna. 
Faithful Jews waiting for the Messiah to come. They were aware of the things we've discussed the past few weeks. They knew about the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew about the expectations that God set down through his prophets. And when they saw Jesus, they knew that those promises, those expectations have been fulfilled. But Jesus will fulfill them in a way greater than even they could imagine. Because not only would the children of Abraham benefit from what Jesus would do. All who believe in him, Jew or Gentile, would be blessed by his arrival. Simeon and Anna understood that Christmas and the salvation of the whole sinful human race revolves around Jesus. And finally, look one more time at verses 39 and 40. These verses may seem like a relatively innocuous transition, talking about Jesus growing in wisdom and stature and the favor of God being upon him. But they also remind us that there is far more to the story than just what we've read so far. Luke devotes another 22 chapters to Jesus. It becomes the longest of the four Gospels in terms of how many words are written. And ultimately, Luke will teach us, as Simeon taught or warned Mary, that Jesus came for both judgment and salvation at the cost of his own life. One theologian writes, The way from Bethlehem leads inevitably to Golgotha, from the crib to the cross. So not only is Christmas about Jesus, but the rest of the story Luke tells is all about Jesus. Last night before our Christmas Eve service, we briefly discussed the song, Mary, Did You Know? Did Mary understand who exactly her son was? Did she fully realize what her son had come to do? Could she have imagined how Jesus's mission would be accomplished? I think the answer to that has to be a hard, sort of, maybe, kind of. Mary knew that Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. She heard Gabriel call him the son of the Most High. She knew that he was the heir to David's throne. She knew that his kingdom would last forever. Luke tells us more than once that Mary pondered all these things in her heart. You know, every mom thinks her baby is better than all the other babies. And it's not always true, if we're being honest. But in this case, it is. Mary knew that Jesus was different. But who could have seen the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension coming? Mary knew a lot. She knew enough to know that Christmas is about Jesus. But even she didn't know the whole story. But this morning, you, me, 
we do know the whole story. We know about Jesus' birth. Fully God, fully man. Savior not just of Israel, but of every sinner who would call upon his name. We know about the penalty he paid for our sin on the cross, having no sin of his own. We know about his victory over worldly powers and authorities, Satan and his demons, and even death itself. And on top of those things, we know about the parts of the story yet to be complete. The part where angels come once again, where Jesus appears once again. When the curse will be reversed, when creation will be renewed, when Satan will be cast down once and for all, and the entire world, from the lowliest shepherd to the greatest king, from the faithful Israelite to the pagan wise man, all will confess that he is Lord. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we look forward to. We know the story isn't over yet. But are we ready for what comes next? Are we ready for that this Christmas? We should be. Because Christmas is about Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, It is not the great final advent, the final coming of Christ, Through all the advents of our life that we celebrate goes the longing for the final advent. Our whole life is advent, waiting for Christ to appear. So Christmas is about Jesus. But you know, so is everything else. Every day, every second, Every hour we live is in thanks to who Jesus is and what he has done in the past. But on top of that, every day, every second, every hour we live is an expectation of who Jesus is now and what he has promised to do in the future. He fulfills the promise to the patriarchs, exceeds the expectations of the prophets, is what John the Baptist prepared us for, is the source of grace for Mary, for you, for me, for Adam, for Eve, and for every sinner who believes in him. Like we said, there are many consequences to Christmas. Joy is certainly one of them. So are peace and hope and love and kindness and generosity and a small weight gain. And Christmas can certainly inspire us to live out all of those heartwarming virtues we sing about in our carols, that we read about in our cards. But don't forget that Christmas is about Jesus. Even Christians like us can forget Even churches like ours can forget. Don't forget when you wake up tomorrow. After all the holiday magic seems to have gone just as quickly as it arrived. That that day will be about Jesus too. So will the day after that. Until he comes. And for that matter, after he comes. When we live in his eternal presence. For us, 
every day, not just Christmas Day, is all about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for Christmas. In some ways, this is just another Sunday, and in some ways, we recognize that it's not. So, Lord, I pray that our worship this morning has been and will be pleasing to you. And I pray that as we go on about our days here in a few minutes, wherever we're going, whatever we're doing, whether it's going home to peace and quiet by ourselves, or whether it's hustling and bustling from house to house and family member to family member, I pray that we would keep you at the center of it all. It sounds cliche, it almost sounds kind of corny, but we really truly do need to remember that Christmas is about you. And so I pray that you would help us remember that amidst all the busyness, all the distractions. And in the days ahead, when the decorations come down and the churches empty out and we get back to quote-unquote normal life, Remind us that those days are all about Jesus, too. The most mundane, uneventful, boring days of our lives are all lived in worship of Christ. Help us do that. Help us live that. Help us be that by the power of your spirit. Thank you for our redemption. Thank you for the manger. Thank you for the cross. And Lord, thank you that you will come again. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.